Good morning. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. Um, and I, I wrote this down during worship. Um, I could probably say this, and if you all walked out of here believing it, um, I wouldn't have to say anything else. Uh, you are who Jesus says you are. Most of our struggle um, is that we get the wrong side of that. We're letting someone or something tell us who we are. And it directs what we do today and tomorrow. Uh, and I encourage you, we're starting a series today called Hope Recovered. Um, it's the struggle. Hopelessness. I don't know if you've heard any of the statistics, and I don't have them offhand, but um, of uh, physical abuse over this last year, alcoholism, drug abuse, um, suicide. That 2020 was a difficult year, and a lot of people's hope left. And so we're going to spend the last or the next two weeks talking about what it looks like to recover something that we lost. And uh, the dangerous part is sometimes we're not even sure it's gone. We just feel like something's not right. And we go through our day um, doing the best we can and we lose the reality that God's wanting to do something with us. And the, the promise that we're dealing with today is that we're worshiping a God that's not in a tomb. We're worshiping a God who told us what he was going to do. And he did exactly that. And he came out of the grave. And he is the reason that we have the capacity to have hope, to live with hope, and to experience joy right now. At the end of our strength... And when our control has been lost, Jesus holds out a hand to deliver. The question is, will we trust his deliverance? And that's the struggle. And I'm just going to tell you, so it's hard to talk about hope recovered without talking about hope lost. And so my sermon today uh, is exactly that. Is that what do we do when all hope is lost? And I think leading up to the cross... Um, is a good image of what it looks like to absolutely lose everything that you've put your life in too. So my one thing this morning is Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, right now in this room, regardless of what faces we are presenting forward to those who are looking at us, there are those here that are struggling, that are hurt, that are wounded, that are hopeless. There are those in this room that desire to trust you, desire to live in the peace that you give. But it is a struggle. And today I pray that you would allow us to see through the lens of what the disciples experienced. And help us, like the eleven, not lose heart in the midst of everything being taken away. So Lord, let us see you in your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus has spent the last three years pouring his life out to the world and to his disciples. Absolutely. Spending every waking moment with these 12 guys who... He's going to leave everything with. 
And could, I, I, don't, I don't think as much as we've read the Bible and heard about the disciples, I don't think we understand what it means to absolutely give up everything to follow this one person and give every ounce of your future to him. And maybe you do. But most of us don't. Most of us haven't left jobs and families and followed a preacher around for three years to see him do miraculous things. If anybody tells you that they're Jesus and to follow them, don't do it. Okay? Like, right, if they literally say it, like they say that they're Jesus. Be scared. The three years they've spent everything that they've had, they've closed off every other hope of future businesses that they had, um, the t- from the tax collectors to the fishermen to all the other people have given up every single thing and they've followed Jesus to the end. And they've been confused, which we've seen as we've gone through Mark, that they've been confused about what Jesus' ultimate purpose here on earth was. Well, finally, there it is. Uh, and finally... His mission is coming to completion. Finally, for the reason that he came, and if you've uh, been reading along with us in the One Year Bible just the other day, in Luke it says that he couldn't stay in one place, that he had to continue to go, because that was the reason why he came, to preach the good news of the gospel. And it was coming to the end, and he had told them over and over again, I must go and die, I must go and do this thing. But none of the disciples were ready to trust Jesus completely, because if they were, they would believe his words. And out of the belief of his words, they would trust everything that's getting ready to happen, which we'll see clearly that they didn't. So we're going to be in Mark 14, starting in chapter uh, 14, starting in chapter 7, chapter 14, verse 17. The Last Supper, Passover meal, which it's not today's sermon, but great correlation. Uh, you, you wonder why you know all of these things happen. There's nothing that happens for change. It wasn't like, oh, it's Passover now. It's time for Jesus to go become the Lamb, the sacrifice for us. But they're having their last meal together. It's where we get our Lord's Supper, which next week we will take together. Uh, here, celebrating an empty tomb and hope in these two elements. And in verse 17, it says, And when evening came, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, So here's the first rug that gets pulled out from the disciples truly i say to you one of you will betray me one who is eating with me and these were students these people weren't ignorant of the word they knew that there would be a betrayer but in this moment jesus is looking at his core that have spent three years with them and said one of you is going to betray me and i've said this over and over again if you've been it reached for a while, you know, my thoughts on this. None of them knew it was Judas. We did. And we judged Judas the whole time because we know he's the Judas. In this picture right here, no one knew Judas was the Judas. How we treat people that are the Judas, Jesus is showing us right here. None of them, as he's telling them, because Judas is getting ready to do it, One of you is going to betray me. In verse 19 it says, they began to be sorrowful. They wouldn't be sorrowful. They wouldn't be freaking out. They wouldn't be asking, is it I, if they knew that it was Judas. 
They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after the other, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping his bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written, just as it is declared. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. Okay. Judas already has 30 pieces of silver. Maybe they're in his pocket right now. Maybe he's feeling the weight of that money in his pocket, and he's, hear, he's hearing the person. Now, he did not, in my opinion, believe that Jesus was the Christ of the Messiah. I think he thought he was a righteous teacher, maybe a prophet, but he was going to circumvent that. But he had seen him do miraculous things. He had seen him um, cast demons out. He had, he, there, was, there was no question of his authority. And here's Jesus going, it would be better if this person, silver in his pocket, was never born. Sitting in the room. The other disciples didn't have 30 pieces of silver in their pocket. They weren't feeling the weight of what was happening. And one of the other gospels, actually, Jesus tells them, go and do what needs to be done. Judas leaves the group, picking it up in verse 27. Judas is gone to arrange the betrayal. Um, verse 26, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, I love this. Like, you may think, like, this stuff up here is just part of what churches do because it's what churches do. We sing songs because you guys like it and it makes us feel better. From the beginning, <laughs> they sang a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, Second rug pulled out from the disciples. One of you is going to betray me. The second one is, You will all fall away. They had given the last three years of their life following this man. And he's now telling them, not only is one of you going to betray me, but all of you are going to desert me. I love Peter. I'm telling you, love Peter. I know he's going to be busy when I get to heaven, but I love to spend some time with him because he is my kind of people. Not all, but some. In verse 28, it says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He is telling them where hope is going to come from. He's telling them. Because he's pulling all these things out, but he's like, look, look. But when I rise up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And this is something that I, I, I believe. At the end of our rope, when all hope is lost, if we can just stay close. Side note, um, Judas is going to betray Jesus in just a second. And I've always wondered, why was he so far gone? Like, why was Judas so distraught that he would end his life? And Peter, who we're going to see in just a second, betrays him, maybe not at the same level, but very close, and is redeemed. I think, in my opinion... It's just a sliver of hope. I think Judas had lost all hope with no idea of redemption. And Peter didn't. Now, he, he, he wasn't there. Just side note, no one was waiting at the tomb. We all think we would be the people outside. The guards are in front of the tomb. And we're like, got the bands ready to like play as soon as that. No one. Peter said to him, 
in the hearing of everybody in my story. But I think so because they, they say the same thing he does. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, pointed all the other ones, all of them, even if they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter would not be undeterred. Let me just tell you, and I say this all the time. When Jesus speaks something to you, about you, and what to do next in your life, you should do it. You should do it. Because although, you know... This isn't what Peter wanted to hear. If he trusted Jesus, he would go. He would be heartbroken about what was coming, but he would not be this guy. And he said immediately, "If I must die, I will not deny you." And they all said the same thing because they all heard Peter. Like, like we're gonna beat you up, Peter. Like you think you're better than us. And Peter says that if I must die, I will not. Betray you, And I'm sure in that moment, that's exactly what he felt, exactly what he was assured what was going to happen. I think that's why he had a sword, which we're going to see in just a minute. It didn't name him in Mark, but this is, I think after this, he's like, yeah, Jesus, oh, I'm committed. Look at this. Verse 43. And immediately while he was speaking, we just missed this part of, on prayer where Jesus tells his top three, they went away from the rest, and he said, tarry with me, hang out with me one year, pray for one hour, pray with me, pray. And three times Jesus walks away to pray, is tormented in his soul with what's coming, comes back to them, they're asleep. He says, can you not just for a little bit, comes back, three times this happens. And then in 43... And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the scribes and the, uh, and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. I think it's funny. Verse 45. And when he came to him, he went to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And I don't know who's seen the passion of Christ, but like one of the most gut-wrenching imagery of this betrayal and what happens afterwards with Judas. Imagine your lips kissing the Savior who came to die for us. And this was the betrayal. It wasn't like... From the corner, like, we're, you know, all those that have ratted out somebody in the past. You know who you are. We've all done it at times. It's more like, yeah, 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 that guy over there. He's got the white cup he's drinking right now. I think his name is Ethan. That guy. We're not walking up to Ethan like the guy that I hug and be like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> Verse 46. And they laid hands on him and seized him. 47. But one of those, who we know is Peter, from one of the other Gospels, stood by, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And I've said this all, all the time. You should not have a sword if the only thing you can do to somebody is cut off their ear. 
Now, maybe it was the maybe, you know, Jesus was like, he is going for that death blow. And Jesus like, and he, I don't know, but all he did was cut off his ear. In verse 48, it says, and Jesus said to him, have you come out against me as a robber, the sword and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled, because this was declared, what was going to happen. And they let, and they all left and fled. All but one, which I love this last part. Imagine this. They all did exactly what Jesus said they would do. Verse 51, and a young man followed him. Like He wasn't ready to like completely desert. Maybe this is one that's like, I'm going to be better than Peter. With nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. You want to talk about hopeless? One of them is going to betray. You're all going to leave. And the last holdout... The thought, mm, I'm going I'm to linger close. The guards grab his clothes and he runs off naked. You have absolutely nothing. Hopeless. Like he's even less his clothes. This leads right into Jesus doing exactly what, or this leads right into Peter doing exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, betray him three times. And you know what happens on the third time in one of the Gospels? He hears the rooster crow. And I don't know why after the first time, we all think we're smarter than Peter until we're in that same scenario and then we realize that we're not. After the first time, you're all going, Peter. And the third time, the rooster crows. And in one of the Gospels, he looks up and he can see Jesus. They make eye contact. And, and this is where I'm talking about where Judas... You know, the level that he was down of that betrayal. I mean, Peter was right there. I will not, I will die. I will give everything for you. And in the moment that he is challenged by a little girl, slave, he loses it, calls down curses on himself. And the rooster crows and he sees Jesus and he's broken. Finished. Hopeless. All their hopes went to a cross and were nailed to it and died there with Jesus. Gone. Hope ended. Three years of serving this man that you thought was going to free Israel of Rome. Two of you were ready to take up his highest Official positions as your right and left hand man. And he's dying on a cross. Done. And he goes to a tomb and they put him inside of this hollowed out cavity. They roll a stone over it and they're done. Nothing. They weren't there. And, and a lot of people can say that they weren't there because they were afraid of getting captured. They weren't there because they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't trust that what he said would come to be. 
and you see that, which is all what we're going to talk about next week. But I, I, I don't want to leave you at this place. I'm like, oh, thanks, Keith. We have no hope. All died in there. All of our hope comes from what happened on that cross. It was the beginning of what God had planned in Genesis 3.15. He was ending the forceful occupation of his people, that we could finally taste freedom through Jesus. Most people, I'm making a big assumption, and I'm sorry if you have no background in Christianity or Judaism, but most people in this room know this story. Most people in this room have heard, heard messages about the cross and the resurrection and the hope that it gives us. But knowing about the story doesn't change anything. Because the disciples were around Jesus for three years and they knew lots of things about Jesus. They knew him better than anyone and they still didn't believe him. They didn't believe when he said, you're all going to leave me. They were still fighting for some measure of control, some measure of them putting their hope in something that it wasn't. See, knowing isn't what we ask you to do. I don't want you to be people that are informed. I want you to be people that are surrendered. Because information doesn't change us. It just gives us understanding of what's going on. But that understanding doesn't move us to surrender and faith in Jesus. Trusting the, cho- the story changes everything. What you think and believe about the empty tomb changes everything. When you breathe your last breath, God is not going to ask you the details of this. There's no test for those that are... I hate being tested. Like, it scares me to death. There's no test that you need to make sure you know all the answers. There's one test. Did you trust and believe in my son? Not did you know about him. There's a big difference. Did you trust and believe in my son? Trusting in the empty tomb in a living Savior. So here's my question for you, and I've got a few. It's where is your hope? Because this is, this is, as much as we go, some strong, Jesus-loving people in here go, our trust and hope is in Jesus. Is it? Because sometimes we live like it's not. We're so afraid about things that may happen to us that we are putting our hope in something else. Many of us are living out of the hope that we get for the position that you're in right now, the job that you have, the money that's in your bank account, the relationships that you have. Some of you are putting your hope for your future in your spouse or your health of your children And all those things can be taken away. All of those things can be lost. And I I want to tell you, something that you'll see through the Gospels is Jesus was after the brokenhearted. At our most broken places is where God has the most capacity to change us. Because if we don't understand our brokenness, blessed are those who mourn. 
If you don't understand that, if you don't understand the consequences of your sin and your life and what it's doing to you, then you'll never look to Jesus with hope. Because you'll think, one day I'll be good enough. We don't say these things, and we very rarely think them, but we live that way. One day we'll be good enough that God will love and accept us. And let me just tell you, there is no part of you that is ever going to be good enough for Jesus. There's, there's no part. There's no day, there's no perfect scenario. Our righteousness is but a polluted garment. Our best day laid before the Father is a polluted garment. And y'all can look up what that is. I've shared it. If you know me, you know what I'm talking about. That. That's, that's our best day going, hey, are you proud of me? When Jesus is like just saying, trust me with that, I'll change you. So many of us right now are putting our hope in what we know and how good of a person we are when it is no hope at all. Because you see, these disciples, 11 of them, excluding Judas, Jesus handpicked for this moment. Do you see their imperfections? Do you see their brokenness? Do you see their mistakes? They weren't good enough for Jesus. Even though he chose them and picked them, they still needed this moment to happen. If Jesus didn't go to that cross, he would not have solved their issue. And if Jesus didn't go to the cross for us, he would not solve ours. Where is your hope? And here's the next question for you. And it sounds like a dumb one. Almost sounds... Like Jesus asking someone who's ill, which he did earlier in Mark, do, do you want to be healed? Do you, do you believe, when he told the Father, do you believe that I can do this? Yes, yes, yes. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. That is our life. And here's the dumb question. Do you want to recover it? If you are dealing with hopelessness, do you want it back? Because getting it back is going to cost you. Not money out of your pocket, but it's going to cost you. Trusting and believing Jesus, following Jesus, cost them, the disciples. It cost them everything. The only place in our belief for hope is Jesus. And if we want that hope, it's going to cost you your life. Are you willing to trust God with all of it. Here's a sad side caveat to do you want to recover it. Honesty is a great place to start. Remember, Jesus looked through Peter's facade and his strapped on sword and knew exactly what was going on. He knew what his heart would do. And Jesus is looking right through us right now to be honest like i think sometimes people we try to put and i do this i want you to perceive me in a certain way so i i you know i lead with certain things that you'll admire or you'll like or you're whatever when inside sometimes we're all just at the end of our rope and sometimes we do the same thing with god we we we, we yeah yeah god you know if you've got time like, I would love some help, and I'd love to hear from you. And like, I, instead of going, God, I am 
completely, utterly at a loss. And I need you. And here's my issue. Sin will always destroy us. Even as believer, it may not rob us from heaven, but it will rob us from life right now. We know that Jesus is coming out of the grave, but what does that mean for you? So as we go next week and celebrate the Savior that is alive, He is not like all of these other saviors that people are worshiping that are stone statues in ideology or a dead person. He is a living, breathing savior that proved who he is through an empty grave. When all is lost, you have enough faith to wait and see Wait and see if God is willing and able to resurrect that dead thing in you. Are you willing to wait and see? And I believe that some of the most difficult parts that we will experience and go through in life is the middle. The beginning is always exciting for those that are married in the room. No one would be married if it wasn't like... Like, I love this person. I'm going to spend the life with them. And finishing well is awesome, but the middle, sometimes, husbands and wives, is a struggle. <laughs> Husband, I'm sorry for whoever's wife just said that. <laughs> but the middle is a struggle, but it's trusting that at the end of what God is doing, He's going to rescue and redeem. If you read the entire Bible, if you see these stories of Joseph and Abraham and Moses, the middle of every story is where hope is lost. Can we trust God enough with the finish of our story to go, even though right now I'm in the middle and right now it seems utterly hopeless, can you have enough hope to believe that God has more interest in your completion and what He's doing in you? What, if, you're, if you're a son or daughter of God, what He began in you, He will bring to completion even when you feel like the work has stopped. God has a great way of allowing seasons of pain and suffering to motivate us to trust Him more. I mean, we're going to see hope rekindled. This band of misfits that have deserted the Christ and Messiah, they're the reason that right now in 2021 in Leland, North Carolina, there is a church and a senior center. They are the reason. This group of hopeless people. Imagine, just in this room, if you retired your hopelessness to God, you laid it at his feet and say, if you want to do something in me, I'm yours. If, if these 11 misfits can start a movement that is still going strong, regardless of what you think about it, imagine what God can do in our families and in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our cities and in this state if we begin to believe more about what God wants to do through us 
than anything else? What if we would lay those things down? And that, that's what I want. This is, this is why Reach Community Church exists. Is to make us a little uncomfortable so that we'll change. I, I was having a conversation with somebody this week. Um, change won't happen until it is more uncomfortable to stay the same. So I, I, I exist to help you figure out that it's more uncomfortable to stay in this other place than this place that God wants to take us to. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We're going um, to worship. We're going to declare who we are in Jesus. We're going to believe that he has enough hope for us to get us moving forward. And before I pray and before we worship, I just encourage you. I spent 18 years in and around church knowing about God. So I could have, when God started to stir in me, go, well, I'm already here. I'm already in church. Like, I already love God. Wherever you find yourself today, surrender is always the best option. Not to me. Not to this church. But to Jesus. If you've not made that decision, here it is. I won't make it for you. I won't force you to do anything. But if you have enough hope to believe that God wants to do something in you to change you, then deal with it today. And I say this almost every Sunday. This is why we have a song at the end of our service. So for just a few minutes after I be quiet, you can allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. So some of you love Jesus or his child, but you're just struggling. Like you don't feel very hopeful. Confess that, lay that at his feet and say, God, I want to believe. And that's the beauty of worship. Is in, in, sometimes we don't even believe what we're singing yet, but keep singing those words. Keep declaring those words like, I am who you say I am, until they become your words. Let's pray. Jesus, you know what is needed in this room. You know what individuals here are struggling beyond any knowledge of anyone else in this room. Jesus, I pray that they would hear your words that you told the disciples, but after I am raised up, go before I go before you to Galilee. Lord, I pray that we would understand that at the outside of the tomb, what you're going to do in and through us as dead things are resurrected, the same power that rose you from the dead, you give to us to bring life to our mortal bodies. Lord, as we worship, let us put our hope in you. And I, and I, I just speak this over the church. If, there, if our hope is in something else, let us see it. Let us acknowledge it. Let us confess it and put our hope in you. Lord, we know you come out of the tomb, but let that knowledge move us into belief and surrender and love for the one that has given us the option of harmony again with the Father. 
Lord, speak to us as we worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name.